Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're checking in with the co-head of Global Markets Distribution within UBS Investment Bank for an update on last week's UBS Sustainable Finance Conference. We're going to ask Kevin Arnold, who oversaw some of the sessions at the conference, to sum up the event for us and to unpack some of the key discussions and share some of the learnings. We'll be discussing the progress of integration of sustainability themes and how we're faring in challenging the outmoded idea that committing to low carbon equals a compromise on returns. As well as being co-head of Global Markets Distribution within the UBS IB, Kevin is also very involved in ESG and sustainable finance on behalf of the investment bank, as well as group alignment on the theme. He spends as much time with internal UBS clients as with those external clients that he serves. Kevin, welcome to the programme. Great to chat to you today. First up, perhaps, let's recap a busy event this year. Were there, I wonder, any key respects in which it was markedly different to previous iterations? That's a great question. So last week, over three days, we had clients from across the UBS group, so across asset management, global wealth management and the investment bank. And I think in total, we had around 1,673 people internally and externally signed up for this conference, which went over three days, 15 panels, uh, three keynote speakers, including Al Gore from uh, Generation, and also 51 contributors to those 15 panels. And we covered pretty much you know, everything from the need for focused and coordinated action, the need to measure data, issues with data, climate, food, food security, climate security, energy security, transition, how you differentiate yourself in this space, some of the pitfalls in terms of getting it wrong. Uh, But basically, it was a pretty broad approach to the whole topic over the three days. Great attendance in terms of absolute numbers, great attendance in terms of regional splits, and great attendance in terms of the divisional attendees from our core clients across our set, Asset Management, Wealth Management, and VIP. This initiative is still very much front and center, despite all the moves we've seen this year and some of the background concerns around data and measurement and, you know, basically what happens if you don't approach it correctly. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about this idea that, you know, the time is now to talk about sustainable finance. And it it does seem that we're beyond this this point, well, hopefully we are, where we discuss, you know, the integration of sustainable themes. It's sort of beyond mainstreaming now. It's just part of the required mindset and the required discipline. Do you think that is the case? Did you hear and see enough that suggested that that is definitely true? And if there are still pinch points or pressures around that onboarding of this theme, uh, what, what do those specific challenges look like? No, I think that's an excellent point. You know, and first and foremost, this is, it's key that this is an initiative uh, and this is an, an imperative that is here and is here to stay and is widely recognised. You know, if you look at, I'm just looking back the last couple of years, there was a noticeable uptick in interest in the whole topic. If you look at web scrape searches around, you know, March, April, May 2020, it peaked, came off, but we're, we're, we're actually still at very high levels of interest. Now, I think it's fair to say that if you look at the last few years, we've gone from trying to raise awareness that this is something that's key throughout the cycle to getting that awareness and people realizing how important it is all the way through to now is what are the granular steps you need to do 
to deliver on either the statements we've committed to in terms of net zero, in terms of our own individual corporate aspirations. But a real thing now is not, not whether or not it's important or not, but what you need to do day in, day out for the next 10, 15, 20 years to make sure the planet doesn't overheat, to make sure that basically the levelling up opportunities that we've mapped out under, under the societal financial issues are delivered on. Put it in COP terms or in terms of a sort of like global forum terms, we've gone from Kyoto Paris style awareness to Glasgow COP26 style. What do we do now? How do we basically put, you know, the meat on the bones or build muscle around this? And I think that's where it gets really interesting. So the granular day-by-day -day action steps, and this was recognized at the conference by Al Gore, obviously, basically, you know, from Generation, who said this, or, you know, it's really now a question about how we, how we measure what we do. And a lot of our focus in the conference was around start point, midpoint, end point, how we get to where we want to get to, how we measure it, how data uh, becomes increasingly important. And, you know, the obvious shortcomings with, you know, basically the, the disparate data sets and the different regional approaches, which are going to be ironed out over time and we will get to the right place. But it does, it does make navigating it more difficult in the early days of this initiative. And when I say early, we've been integrated for a long time within UBS asset management, we've been very focused on all aspects of the rest of the group. But building out the data sets are key for us to deliver on the promises we've made, the expectations our clients have, because we have to really accurately measure now what that money is doing and how it is helping all of us fulfill our end goal of basically putting a limit on global warming. And the other myriad other, you know, there are 17 aspects to the UN SDG goals. You know, the other question I noticed was, you cannot focus on everything. If you want to make an impact, and we all do, you need to work out where you focus because there are very few successful companies that do everything for everyone. So the question is, how do we properly marshal the, the scarce resources that all of us have and make sure that where we do focus, we are making the requisite desired changes? Well, yeah, and Kevin, on that point, I, it would be remiss of me not to ask about, you know, it's funny, you go back to, you were talking about early 2020, and obviously we then had the pandemic and all of the impact that that had on so many different areas, you know, war in Ukraine. And if we're looking at, for example, the green transition, you know, increasing adoption of renewables, this question of reliance and inter-reliance in terms of energy specifically, and energy security, that's been thrown into a different, a completely different focus. Is that just a good lesson that, certain assumptions we make about the direction of travel, even if it's on the greening of energy as one sector, can have very profound challenges. And we sometimes don't know where they're going to come from. I mean, presumably that was a theme which cropped up more than once, one imagines, at the conference. Absolutely. And it's not just cropped up at our conference, but I think there's been a theme that's been alluded to since Glasgow last, last, last fall. I mean, you know, this concept of a fair transition, I think, is very much sort of moving into, you know, practitioners' vernacular. What does that mean? What it, what it means is that, you know, basically exclusion is not necessarily the day one or day two solution to this problem. There is a need to be pragmatic to work out, you know, how we get to, you know, you know the reason why net zero is set at 2030, 2040, 2050 in different regimes is because it's not something that flip, you can just switch overnight. We are reliant on, you know, the, the larger fossil fuel uh, producers to gradually change, to take that basically a significant set of revenues that have been made and are increasingly being made this year, those windfall profits, and basically channel it into new and nascent technologies. And there's a role, but there's a role for the you know the current actors and the current supply chain to basically gradually be part of the solution. And I think if you if you ignore that, I think you fail to basically deliver properly on the potential 
that type that science, technology, and transitionary finance can provide uh, for all parties, not just startup, green, renewable companies, but you know, basically, you know, real world oil, coal producing companies now that can basically tradition, that can transition, can put in place offsets, removals, technologies, uh, new processes that can mitigate the impact of what they're doing, uh, you know, now and gradually get to a position where we, where, where we are making making sustainable, robust and resilient changes and channeling those significant resources into next stage solutions. And I think that fair transition, that pragmatic approach to it is key to really making a difference. Well, and I wonder to what extent, Kevin, are we past the point where, because I've had conversations like this with you know other colleagues of yours and other people active in this sector, and there's always this sense that there are still some laggards, people dragging their feet, maybe who just can't get away from this feeling, a suspicion, a scepticism maybe, that committing to low carbon must in some way must in some way mean compromise, compromise on, on returns. And of course, in a low return environment, one imagines it's ever more important to really underscore the point that the two things that that's not the case and the two things can can exist happily alongside each other and indeed that doing the right thing can actually pay off literally but are you still finding you're having to have that conversation or are we have we moved beyond that progress is definitely being made you know people people are aware that any businesses the majority of most businesses core stakeholders care deeply about this subject now the issue is is whether or not you can simply turn turn off a product line or a behavior now, or whether you need to work for this. I think there's a realization that it is important, that people care, that it does have a dramatic impact on the, on the perception of your own brand. And even some of the world's largest you know, oil producers have fully accepted the need to diversify sources of income. And you're seeing great movements in some of the you know, more traditional you know, oil producers to move into winds, into solar, put investment dollars into new technologies. And that, you know, that gradually permeates through, through for, I think, the entire supply chain. So I think that, they, you know, obviously, there's not a single initiative anywhere in the world on any topic where you've got 100% agreement on. But I think there is a very broad-based and growing awareness that something needs to change, whether it's behaviours, whether it's focus, whether it's basically the technologies we're deploying. But I think that adds up to a really good position. So I think as you go into Cairo, COP 27, 28, 29, 50, I think we'll find that we're we're pushing on an open door here in terms of what needs to be done, and, that, and that's I think a very good thing. Uh, well, yeah, and what kind of help then does it uh, provide to feature the likes of of Al Gore to draw together? exemplars in the space great thinkers yourself and your colleagues who've been very active for a very long time in this kind of environment because i'm thinking in particular of sectors where the need is maybe particularly dire energy is of course a significant one but even if we look at i don't know retail or, or fast fashion something like garment manufacturer there's so much that needs to be done does it really it must make a huge difference to be able to corral the kinds of voices that we heard at the conference to get them together just by being together being open-minded having a frank exchange of ideas can that even crack some of those tougher nuts like like in like in fashion where maybe they have more work to do than in some other spaces absolutely i, I think that getting everyone together especially you know when you put a, a set of delegates and participants together like we did last week across so many different aspects of the business you know sole traders high net worth individuals, family offices, institutional pension funds, insurance companies, corporates. When you put together those people and everyone gets a chance to air 
the problems they're grappling with, the issues of implementation that, they, that they're dealing with, the, you know, not unanimous, but the strong voice from the client base in terms of what are you doing and, you know, why am I, you know, why do I continue to sponsor your brand rather than someone else who's obviously doing more, more than they should be doing. All of these things, you know, it's great to see what best practice looks like and best practice is a constantly evolving uh, concept. But when you, when you get everyone together and you turn around and say, right, this is why we're serious about it. These are the issues we face in terms of implementation. These are the sort of uh, areas that we think are still relatively sensitive. And if we, get, if we get these areas right, we can all begin to mitigate reporting risks, measurement and benchmarking risks, and ultimately, basically, implementation risks. And I think data, quality of data, ratings, scorings, all as they evolve and as, as, as they get better and as they get more standardized and they get more robust, all serve to mitigate some of the short-term risks we, we, we still run as, a, as an industry, as a business, and across all our sectors in terms of difficulties with this, with proving what you're doing. And it's, it, it's pretty clear to everyone I've spoken to that in order to maintain the fantastic momentum we have around this topic, you've got to be, over time, better able to evidence properly what it is those investment dollars are doing, how they're moving us towards you know, one and a half to two degrees caps, and in terms of global warning, and, and what's really, you know, why is that money going there rather than somewhere else? And that's key, I think, because in order to ma maintain the momentum, you've got to show that the impact you are having. And I think there are still, in some areas, some difficulties with that, but we're getting much better at it. Well, Kevin, you keep coming back to this data. I find it absolutely fascinating, this quest for, you know, shared metrics, standardization, I guess. What's the, where's the, the big movement have to come on that? Is it a regulatory question? Does it get us into the, the, the occasionally vexing issue of complex geopolitics and all the volatility that's inherent in that? Where, where do we need to see the biggest moves to, to find those uh, standardizations to find those um, shared uh, metrics by which we can meaningfully gauge that that international progress. The biggest issue we face right now is the fact that because it is because it is so so important because it is so front and center, there is a race at a at a national level to come up with some form of framework. So, and that creates problems in it itself because you get basically different national frameworks. So I, I think that the the real desire from a practitioner's point would be to have some almost, you know, globally recognized standard, you know, whether it's accounting, financial standards, whether it's uh, materiality standards from a regulatory point of view. But the fact is, until we move to a broadly accepted, almost global or regional gold standard, it does become uh, quite difficult. There are no shortcuts. I mean, so, you know, so right now, you, everyone that basically approaches this topic has to have a combination of you know multiple service providers across products, regions, countries, overlaid with some form of internal proprietary screening to get you where you need to be. And that's you know that's fine. You know there's no single definition of basically you know return on capital. There's no there's no single definition of anything that we measure and is important to us. So having a single definition or the absence of one doesn't necessarily matter. But we do need to get to a point where we we can begin to start comparing things on on a fairly even keel. And if we can't do that, we're just making life very difficult for ourselves. If you can't do that, you also basically leave yourself open to possibly misrepresentation, to difficulties with basically proving what it is you've done. And so I think that there's generally a very broad base acceptance that we need to move to sort of a more, if, you know, if not a single standard, but a much more standardized approach. 
seeing good movement, you know, basically in, in, in Europe. But, you know, we have dozens of ratings, uh, you know, basically of, of companies that purport to provide some form of rating or scoring in Europe. Uh, some of them are much bigger than others. Uh, you know, and obviously, you know, basically people know what the hierarchy looks like. But I think we will get better at, uh, you know, but remember, this is not a local problem. You know, basically output here a couple of weeks down the line is basically pollution somewhere else. So we need we need to get better at regional and global coordination. And I think we will get there, but it will take time. Uh, but I think people know that the right things are being done. And there is the focus there. Kevin, I, it's fascinating to hear your your insights. Maybe just give us a couple of key takeaways, if you want. I mean, you've already spoken elegantly and eloquently about exactly this. But I don't know, if you were to sort of pick out three things that you would say, look, this is the, the three most important things that I take away from the conference, whether they're learnings, whether they're challenges uh, still to come. What, what might a couple of those just pithily be, do you think, in your view? I mean, first of all, you know, if, if I look at some of the keynote speakers, first of all, turning pledges into real actions is key. So as I said, I've mentioned it already, you know, putting putting meat on the bones of the framework. So how you implement what you what you've already said you're going you're going to do. So basically, that's key. Second one is, you know, sustainable finance as the next frontier. I think basically we recognize that the financial services industry has a real role to play in transition, in financing transition, in coming up with capital and sources of capital for new, growing, nascent technologies, because they are going to be the key to delivering on this. That may also take some, you know, require some changes in terms of how we how we define holding periods, the concept of duration, whether we basically focus more on private rather than public markets, because they will both have a role to play in this. And I guess the other, you know, my final one is, you know, sustainability as a competitive advantage for industry leaders. It is part of, you know, our, our clients, our employees expect us as responsible corporates and responsible companies to be doing the right thing. Now, I've already said we can't do everything, so we've got to work out what we can all do within our key segments and regions. But the fact is there is a broader exception from all our key stakeholders that companies have to play a role in this. It's not just about government finance and public finance. It goes all the way down to corporate social responsibility. And that's a relatively new concept, I think, for companies to have to deal with. To do it properly, we need to be very clear in our sustainability reports, in our risk reports, how the two align, and how we then focus, as I said, our scarce resources on delivering uh, on this promise. Kevin Arnold. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can join the club by subscribing to Monocle magazine. You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. Or discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.